to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a show that explores the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend 5 to 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, which I then turn into a concise 15 to 30-minute summary and analysis. There's a summary episode every week, as well as standalone episodes that are either me sharing an idea on a topic or discussing one with a guest. The goal is twofold, to keep you up to date on the absolute latest in security and technology, and to explore ideas that hopefully give you something to think about. In this standalone episode, I'm going to be reading an essay titled, Is There a Single Thread That Unifies Procrastination, Training as Avoidance, and the Toolbox Fallacy? I think a lot about how to become a better creator, which usually means trying to produce more content produce better content, or improving its structure and presentation. As creators, especially new ones, one of the main questions we have is, how is so-and-so able to produce so much great content? How do they do it? What's their secret? And for analytical types, which many creators are, we then proceed to break down their methodologies, kind of like Tim Ferriss does on his podcast. Maybe they get up early, or they have Nikon equipment, or Canon equipment, or they went to an Ivy League school, or their parents had money, or they're good-looking, or they're funny, or they don't have kids and they work on their craft all day long, or they happen to know a great mentor, or they got lucky, or whatever it was. And many would-be creators get stuck in this phase. First, it can create and aggravate imposter syndrome when you see all the Herculean efforts that the best people in the world are making. But even worse, it often sets people into a thousand different directions of stuff they must purchase or things they must do or ways they must be before they can get started. They tell themselves, oh, I need a Canon EOS 1DX Mark III camera before I can get started in photography because that's what Tara shoots with. Then, when life gets in the way, or you have a few setbacks, we realize we aren't actually creating at all. And yet, all those people continue to create, and they continue to receive praise. And all the while, people are asking us, what have you done? I thought you were going to create some stuff. I haven't seen anything from you recently. And this can discourage us, and combined with other things, can exacerbate or cause depression. And then finally, once we're in some sort of depressive state, the very act of thinking about being productive or creative touches on a raw nerve of shame and guilt. And our mind self-defense reaction kicks in with an arsenal of distractions, kind of like an F-14 shooting off flares to distract a missile. It'll say things like, hey, you really need to take out the garbage right now. And you also need to finish that last two episodes of that one Netflix series from 2017. Oh, and you should reorganize your refrigerator. So we set off on all these different tasks, which we know to be procrastination. Now that flow I just described is extremely common for creators. And what I just realized is that it includes three distinct things that we should label and confront. The first is training as avoidance. The second is the toolbox fallacy. 
and the third is procrastination. Training as avoidance is a label for the problem described brilliantly by the essay, Do the Real Thing, by Scott Young. It talks about how so many people use their intellects to trick themselves into believing that studying a craft for days, weeks, or months, or even years, will somehow get them there to being a good creator. He writes, Consider one person who wrote me saying she turned down a job working in French. She didn't feel her French was good enough yet. So instead, she planned to listen to podcasts at home every day until she was ready. But you know what would have helped her get good at French? Working at the job in French. So a simple point here is that, no, it's not the studying that does it. It's the doing that does it. The Toolbox Fallacy is a great essay by Ian Martin that makes a similar but different point, i.e. that it's quite easy to convince ourselves that we're waiting for a tool or for a condition in life before we can get started pursuing our dreams as a creator. He writes, The hard truth is that the lack of these things wasn't actually what was wrong. Having a hammer is not what makes you a carpenter. Using a hammer is what does. A writer writes, be it with a laptop, a pen, a crayon, or a haiku carved in the sand with a branch. The summary there is that tools don't make creators, creating does. And that rhymes perfectly with using training as avoidance, like we talked about before. And finally, we arrive at procrastination. Procrastination is like colds and flus. It causes serious harm to productivity around the world on a mass scale, but doesn't get much attention because it's so common. You might be thinking, right, sure, procrastination. Obviously, putting things off can be a cause of not getting things done. No duh. And that's fair. But I believe procrastination is tied to training as avoidance and the toolbox fallacy much more deeply and significantly. First of all, as you probably observed, the first two are types of procrastination. Both training as avoidance and the toolbox fallacy are mechanisms that smart people use to convince themselves that there's a good reason for not being productive. That's the trap tricking yourself into thinking you're being productive when you're not. And smart people are great at self-deception. But I think what might unite them even more is a common root cause. There's a theory of procrastination that's gaining popularity right now that says it's more like a self-defense mechanism versus trauma than a harmless distraction activity. And that really resonates with me. In this model, The bottom of the stack is actually trauma and or depression, and procrastination is a mechanism by which the mind protects us from re-experiencing that trauma. So if we think we're losers at any given moment, or we think other people think we are, then we avoid activities in which we might fail and confirm that belief. Someone really bad off might not try to do anything and just freeze into a depression. But someone who's more functional might go through all the productivity motions of studying and training and learning and practicing 
but do so as an elaborate mechanism for not actually trying to do the real thing. I probably got this idea partly because I recently read a book called Complex PTSD, which was recommended to me as a better way of understanding people going through tough times. But the reason I thought of this connection to creators and to procrastination is that the book talks about how trauma, of various degrees, really sits at the bottom of so much of our behavior. Before reading the book, I thought trauma was kind of binary, like either it's extreme and it's violent or it's not really trauma. But reading the book made me think of it as more of a spectrum with lots of different causes and types from simply not getting enough love from the right people to actual physical abuse. Anyway, that's all interesting, and I encourage you to read more of it if it resonates with you. Again, the book is called Complex PTSD. But it's admittedly pretty heavy for an essay here about creators and procrastination. The unifying thread to me is that rejection, imposter syndrome, not feeling enough love from friends and loved ones, just general unhappiness and depression could all be a single ball of plasma that powers our inability to create. And maybe we're simply getting confused by the forms this takes on, whether it's shutting down or studying too much or waiting for that special condition you need before you can start. And that brings us to solutions. What I liked so much about the CPTSD book was that it reminded me to think about root causes. I mean, I do this naturally, just as most people hearing this also do. But I do it mostly for work things, for problem solving. But if you want to be a creator, then being unable to create is absolutely a problem. And so for practical takeaways, I suggest a few things from this. One, if you're having trouble creating, think deeply about the reason for that. Two, ask yourself if you're seeing any of the behaviors of training as avoidance or engaging in the toolbox fallacy. And three, if you are, consider framing them as forms of procrastination. And then, as the ultimate takeaway here, realize that everyone has been prescribing the wrong medicine for the inability to create. Don't try to fix your creator problems with even more study or even better tools. Instead, look yourself right in the face and tell yourself the following. You are awesome. You are creative. You are capable. You are loved. And you are going to be awesome. That message hits the bottom of this creativity disruption stack. And I think it can unravel a lot of the knots that manifest as the symptoms that we've talked about. I know that you can be a great creator. I believe in you. And you should too. Go do it. Okay. So that was the essay. And I want to talk about a couple of notes that I added to the end of the essay that I think are important. First, I am not a clinical psychologist, and but 
I do know that depression is an extremely complex topic that's not even fully understood or agreed upon by the actual experts in the field. The one thing I'm not doing here is implying that something in this equation makes the current state your fault. Quite the opposite. Given my belief in free will, I don't even believe that there is such a thing as someone's fault. It doesn't really make sense when you go all the way to the bottom of it. But the point here is to identify and label specific internal obstacles to people becoming their ideal selves. And if a profound unhappiness sits at the base of that, then that's a situation we must address. Maybe that's straightforward. Maybe it's a lifetime of therapy. Or maybe it's all those things combined with medicine. I don't know. And it's different for everyone based on their situation. All I'm proposing is that there could be a unifying cause to the entire stack of self-actualization denial. And that understanding that stack could help us overcome it. So the second note here I have is I do find it interestingly paradoxical that depression and trauma are often highly associated with extreme creativity. There are countless examples of this to the point of anecdote becoming data. I wonder if this trade-off has something to do with creation from trauma versus creation from a healthy place, and ideally being able to get to the latter. In other words, if someone is a classical troubled artist, then creation can help them cope. But that doesn't mean one should embrace or cherish or encourage trauma as the only mechanism for creativity. I think we should still strive for a state where we can be just as creative from a place of peace. And then lastly, my final admonition in the essay to tell oneself that you are creative and that you are loved and that you will be awesome is interesting on its own. So I subscribe to a concept I call general absurdism, which is the perverse disconnect between human experience and underlying physical reality. For any given person, they don't know how creative they are or how creative they could be, give it enough grit and a bit of luck. So all one really can do is believe in oneself and in others. And that's the irony of creativity. It comes from somewhere not in our control. Maybe it comes from the inside. Maybe it comes from the outside. doesn't matter. The point is that it might as well come from God or from another dimension. You can be extremely religious or not believe in anything supernatural like me and still harness the power of the mysterious, the unknown, the creative, and ultimately of love. Those things are unbounded. Nobody knows who has the potential to change the world. You don't know, and neither do I. But what I can tell you is that you will never find out if you don't try. So lean in, all the way. It's the only path. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. I believe inserted ads are not just annoying, but that their business model is toxic to content creation. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it directly for just $5 a month or $50 a year, which is two months for free. UL members get the newsletter every week instead of just twice a month. They get access to the archives, 
to get access to the UL Slack community, where we share ideas and links about the topics we discuss here. And you also get access to the UL Book Club, where we pick a book a month and talk about it live as a group. To become a member, just head over to danielmisor.com slash subscribe. And thank you so much to everyone who's already done so. Each of you is participating in the direct model of creator support that is helping this show survive and grow. And I greatly appreciate you. We'll see you next time.